Let's pray. Lord, teach us how you want us to honor. And in your commandment, Lord, we see that there's a difference between a father uh, and a mother and their children. We see that there are distinctions in the family, distinctions, Lord, uh, in government, in society, in schools. We pray, Lord, that we, in this generation, in our time, uh, would relearn your orderly arrangement, what you had desired for us uh, by creation, uh, to, Lord, uh, adorn all human society with honor and beauty and harmony, uh, even as they keep their own distinctions and status. Lord, we ask that you would help in this way, that we might know your will to do it, to please you, to uh, glorify you, but it's then also, Lord, just to, for our own safety's sake, our own soul's safety, that we might enjoy the fruit of it, for righteousness has its own reward, and the blessed life is the best that we might have. And so help us this evening, Lord, and we pray it through Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. When I was uh, in industry, I was in corporate education, and uh, one of the one of the items that we had occasionally uh, to teach the, the corporation was uh, uh, a lot of diversity, but cultural diversity, because uh, we were a, multi, a multinational company, and uh, we had to know and we had to appreciate that there are different types of people in the world. One teacher that, we, that I hired was teaching a class on a certain culture and uh, a group in the Asia Pacific. I won't name the island. I don't have any interest in shaming anyone. One of the things that's peculiar about this people, and it was in the tradition, everybody recognized it, uh, was uh, what was what she dubbed as crabbing. Now you can imagine what this was. This is like. Imagine there's a sandy beach, and someone has placed a, a pole on the beach with with a piece of food on the top of the pole. The crabs emerge at night, they're all hungry. They all want to grab the food or the bait that's up on top of the pole. So they begin uh, rushing the pole, climbing the pole, and uh, climbing each other's backs, and they would reach. And then and just as one is making headway up, uh, one, of the, one of the crabs would pull one of his back legs, and they would drag the leading crab down from the pole so that he couldn't reach it. Maybe he, would, maybe he can't reach it because he's far down, but the second guy would try the second crab would try, and they were literally all over each other, pulling each other's down, hoping, hoping there would never be a distinction between uh, any of them, because if, if, if they didn't get, they figured if that crab, one didn't get it, none of them would get it, and that was just fine with them. <laughs> that phenomenon was called crabbing, and that was taught in the corporate education because that's what employees did to one another. They would bait one another, and, and they would betray one another, lest one would outshine the other, and they just couldn't stand for anybody to be promoted uh, above their, uh, their, their own ranks. You know, there is something in us, my friends, that really does not like to be outshined. Uh, Dr. Smith, one time in private, told me, I don't, I'm, I'm sure he doesn't mind me sharing this, that there is something in the Christian church that needs to be watched. Generally speaking, 
people do not understand men of greater spiritual acumen and conviction. The general sympathy is, who do they think they are? We're peers. Why can't, what is this attitude of, and they do not like to be pointed out as lacking uh, in anything, especially by a peer. And yet, my friends, despite that phenomena, which is in every one of our fallen natures, not, not in this Indo-Pacific uh, colony there in Southeast Asia, we all are the same stock of fallen Adam, and Adam fell uh, with like pride of Satan, Lucifer, and we have become, by our, our fallen nature, serpents. The poison of asps is in our lips. And we have to recognize that we are a dangerous brood unless God, by His grace, changes our hearts and stops us. And this commandment is here to remind us that by our original intent in making us man and woman in his own image, God innately would have us to honor that person, not only as a creature, but as a noble, reasonable creature with many, many excellencies. Many, many excellencies, if we would just think about it. Now, in the pristine nature, that's easy to do. There's no sin. There's no guile. There's no there's no avarice, there's no lust to power, no lust to fame. In the fallen nature, everything, all, all bets are off. This, uh, this commandment is exceedingly important. I think this is why God, in his wisdom, made children and babies very small. With their vicious fallen nature, they would be very dangerous if they were size of a sumo wrestler out of the womb. They would tear up the house. They have no control because they have no knowledge. Honor your father and your mother. We need to know what that means. We need to learn it in the homes first. We need to learn it in the schools. We need to learn it for the playgrounds. We need to learn it for our baseball, softball, swim teams. We need to leave, uh, learn it in the church. We need to learn it in society. It's hard to believe that this uh, commandment is, is still in effect. For when you turn on the television, you hear the debate of politicians, you hear the debate of political leaders, and there is just so much strife. And if you can't win the argument, my, my friends, what you do is you just aim for the knees at, uh, at the ad hominem. That is to say, you begin to poke uh, fun, ridicule, scorn at the character of the person. That's the coward's debate. That happens all the time. Honor your father and your mother. We already spoke two other sermons about what that means in terms of inferiors honoring their superiors. We also spoke where uh, superiors ought to benefit their inferiors and not vex them, not, to, not vex their children, provoke them to wrath. Uh, and, and so the relation goes both ways. But now we're going to see what the scripture and the commandment uh, means by honoring your peers, your equals. And the teaching is very simple. It's just that all men are duty-bound to honor their equals. Not just Christians, not just Jews. This is not a, a law that's covenanted particularly with Jews or with Christians. 
Uh, this is a moral law. Moral law transcends uh, the Indo-Pacific Rim. It, 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 it transcends the corporate fi uh, 500, Fortune 500 companies. It transcends the church. All men are duty-bound to honor their equals. And by doing so, they please God and receive a blessing. Very simple. Pleasing God, and there's a promise here of a blessing. So we have three points. Not a difficult sermon to understand. The first point is that you must give honor to your equals. And how do we do that? Well, by recognizing their dignity, by recognizing their worth, by hoping to be more objective as to, you know, there's, there's more to this person than, I, than uh, at first glance. They have education. They bring some things to the table. But it's not just a, a matter of pragmatism and utility. Even if they were laid up in a hospital bed on, on oxygen, they are yet in the image of God. And uh, some of these are some of the most precious people you've ever met in your life. They, they're hidden saints. They have their, life, their life is hidden in Christ. They don't have a public title. They don't have a podcast. They're not internationally known. They don't have a lot of wealth. But God has befriended them. And if they, if they bear Christ, then, my friends, they're heir of all things. And you have everything in common with them. You must give honor to your equals and regard their dignity and regard their worth. You know, I once read, someone did an assessment as to what a, a human being is worth. If you reduce them to ash, basically you've got about well, less than $4 of minerals. Uh, that's a very toxic, a very cynical view of what a, what a human being is worth. That's a scientist who doesn't even understand what a soul is. A soul, once born, never dies. And a soul cannot be created but by God. A soul is price, it's without price. And so, my friends, when you look at a human being, you are looking at something that is worth far more than the National Gallery and it's all of its resources and its net worth. It, it, it is worth far more because the soul has the capacity of, uh, of showing forth the glory of the maker and stands to inherit all things, all things, with its maker and its redeemer. If God has visited man and prompts us to ask the question, what is man that you visit him? What, can, what do you see in man who is vexing you. You know, I we try to, you know, cross the street decently here and here, just across the street in Overbrook, and there's, there's pedestrians, or I guess they, they have a death wish. They want to get hit, and you want to, you want to scream at them to lower your window. What is wrong with you? You lose patience with these people. And yet, what is man that God would regard such a creature, even as he has fallen, and come to his aid? and rescue by regarding their dignity and worth. That soul may be elect. He may not be converted yet, but he may be elect. There is a deposit of blood in his name in the book of life waiting to be applied to that person. That person is richer, far, far, far more wealthy than anyone you've ever met. And we need to regard the creature as that well. Loved by God, benefited by him, preserved by him, many meals, 
You know, people get upset when, the, when you mistreat their dog. What's a dog worth? But God preserves all humans with many meals, with much rain, with much food, with clothing. The Lord doesn't keep us as pets. He keeps us as our benefactor, but it's all in love. And that's true of anyone, of everyone. So regarding those other people, your equals, dignity and worth, by preferring them before yourself in love, giving them the chance to excel above you, uh, giving prefer them, preference, to, preference to them, asking their opinions, uh, listening to them before you blurt out your own opinion, by rejoicing in their gifts. Natural gifts uh, are, I think, easier. They can be more objective in a lot of ways. You know when you've lost a chess tournament to your favorite buddy. <laughs> That's what happened to me. <laughs> I came, no, I did not come in first place. And uh, he got the trophy, I got, I got a handshake. And, uh, but I rejoiced because he was a very good friend. He really played well that day and he deserved the trophy. And so you have to rejoice in those people that have the greater natural gifts. Uh, don't become jealous if somebody plays piano or sings better than you, <laughs> okay? Don't, don't wish uh, to trip somebody who's faster than you are on the track. Don't try to cheat them out of their uh, any, any sort of glory. But the spiritual gifts are especially interesting, my friends, because we, this is all of God. And we, we can't understand how it is that God would gift some one above another, why he would choose David uh, and not his better-looking older brothers, uh, why he, uh, the people would reject Samuel, who was a phenomenal judge, prophet, and, uh, and give the people Saul. What, 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 is, what is going on here? Why is this one anointed of God and not that one? Um, why does this one have fame? How, how is it this, this one is so eloquent and this one is not? Where does this guy get this memory? God distributes these gifts as he pleases. Some have great faith. Some have great discernment. Some have wonderful knowledge. Some have the gift of mercy. Some suffer long and are very merciful and forbearing. They have great sympathy to the sick. And so these spiritual gifts, my friends, are given by the Holy Spirit who is sovereign. And though you may ask for it, he may give it to you if you ask, seek. You may, he, may, he, may, he may kit you with even more spiritual gifts. But at the end, it's the Lord who makes the distinction. And after all, it's not about us. It's not about any one person in particular. The body all works together in harmony. And so we can rejoice when an equal has superior gifts because really, like whether it be Cephas or Paul, Apollos, all things are, are ours. Cephas is as much ours as Apollos is. Why make distinctions in the church? They're all for us. There's no sense for this party spirit. We stand to inherit all things. So we can rejoice in the giftedness of other people. And we should celebrate. We should celebrate them when they are advanced in anything as if it was our own advancement. I know sometimes uh, there, are always, there are always exceptions. I remember one 
one man in particular who was advanced, uh, promoted at work, and uh, management called uh, several departments together. And when they brought everyone together, the announcement, and nobody celebrated. Some like a like a like a like a spontaneous uh, objection to this. Well, everybody filed out of the room, and I know what happened. The manager said, "All right, you're going to tell us what what's going on here. Why is it that your peers across the board spontaneously thought that this promotion was not due you? That's an exception. That's an exception. In general, uh, we ought to be happy uh, to see others." shine and not do this crabbing business where we yank everybody down. It doesn't matter if we don't win as long as no one else wins. You must give honor to your equals. That's what's required in the commandment. Secondly, you must not neglect to give honor to your equals. Now this is a, again, positively stated. This commandment is always uh, to be Honored uh, con conditions prevailing, uh, and, but uh, the, the the negative side, the flip side of every commandment, what is what is required by our duties, uh, if it's if if we omit to do that, that is sin. Okay, it's not the it's not the fact that we dishonor somebody; it's that we do we have not honored. Now, sins of omission are very very much more difficult to detect in ourselves. You're going to have to take time. First of all, um, you have to know someone fairly well to, to really detect and be convinced that there's a sin of omission. That's what the, the benefit of marriage is. Your spouse will say, honey, uh, it doesn't seem like you even care about your sons anymore, you know? That's a grave concern. Well, how do you know that? Well, you haven't talked to him in five months. That's, wow. Okay. Yeah, good point, honey. Yeah. Pass the bacon, you know. You've got to take stock. You, ask, you have to take time to ask the Lord to search your heart. Because these sins of omissions are equal, and some are even more heinous than sins that you commit. But uh, neglecting them it means the neglecting of, of regarding their, their dignity and worth, not preferring them before yourself, not rejoicing, when you see them excel in natural gifts and spiritual gifts uh, and not celebrating them when they are advanced, but also by uncharitably undervaluing the gifts and the character of your equals. This happens uh, when people uh, turn legalistic. They become hypercritical of others and, and hypocritical of themselves. They, don't, they just don't see the sins of omission. And then they begin to, if you don't see your sins of omission, you, you can harden your heart by not seeing sins of omission. You understand that? If that's sin, and if you continue in sin, you're not going to improve. So what happens with hypocrites who don't take time to examine themselves, they become very bitter and un uncharitable to others. They undervalue what other people bring to the church, what other people bring to the table at work. They undervalue their professor peers. They begin to quibble about, well, this academic uh, book that I wrote or this academic privilege and this, uh, and all becomes war. They become uncharitable, unfair. 
They don't appreciate the contribution of someone. And then, of course, the ad hominem. It's easy to peck at the character of somebody. Well, we're all sinners. It, it, it's, it's pretty easy to shred somebody if you really want to. It's pretty easy to pick apart a sermon, really. Even, even the best of sermons have holes in them, especially when you're trained, when you've, when you've heard thousands and thousands of them in your lifetime. And so the easy, the shortcut is to undercut the person by speaking to their character. You've got a character issue. Oh, wow. That's the broadest acrylic brush in my whole brush collection at home. A character issue. Black. Rather than saying, brother, why you should be more patient. Oh, I can see. Yes, I true. I, 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 I spoke too quickly. Thank you for that reminder. No, you have a character issue. By grieving when they are advanced in position or in health. Oh, this man has is, is worked out of an illness. Oh, I don't like the guy. I wish he'd, I wish he'd stay in a wheelchair. Oh, we don't say that. We don't say that. Because that would be, the, you know, absolutely wicked to say that. If anybody heard us, they'd, they'd think we're demons. But we think stuff like that. When we grieve when they are advanced to position or in health or in favor, why, why is this person uh, the golden boy? Uh, how come she likes him better than me? What, what's, you know? By jockeying for preeminence uh, over them. I think that's Ezekiel 33. The shepherd has to come in and because the, the sheep are, but, are butting one another in the heads and they're, they're jostling and they're shouldering one another and the little ones are just being squashed, you know. They're in the flock and everything's just... The big fat ones, they get all the food because they trample the smaller ones. Jockeying for preeminence. You must not neglect to give honor to your equals. Sins of omission, equally heinous, more difficult to detect... I, I, hope, I hope you have someone in, in the church that can serve as a confidant. You don't, you don't do this with everyone. It's somebody with trust. Maybe they can keep an eye on you. Ask them, you know, to keep you accountable. Please keep me honest. Take heed. Be wise. Ask the Lord to search your heart. Again, if you haven't studied Psalm 139 in a while, that would be a good one. Finally, not only must you give honor to your equals and not neglect to do that, but God has promised to bless you by keeping this fifth commandment. When you honor your father and your mother, when you as superiors are equitable and you, you bless those inferiors and they say to you, blessed be you, Father. When you get along with others and keeping this commandment. And I, I'd, say, I'd say, my friends, that we don't, this is not an impossible bait where the Lord has a carrot dangling, and you know it's just above the reach of, uh, of of the blessing. He knows your heart. He knows your intent. And if you are a Christian, uh, He weighs your heart. He sees that your desire is to please Him in this way, and that you are striving to keep this teaching in mind. You haven't cast it behind you. You've been corrected on it, and you gladly 
repented, you're sorrowful that it uh, ever occurred. The Lord knows your heart, and he, he graciously, graciously uh, judges you, as we saw in Psalm 50. He gives you an admonition, uh, but he does not condemn. Now, the wicked, he certainly, re uh, he certainly rebukes and makes a threat. And that's, that's his covenanted wicked who are made a covenant to him by sacrifice. The Lord speaks to us like that in our consciences. But God has promised to bless you by keeping the fifth commandment. And uh, in general, what our confession says is that, that generally speaking, long life uh, uh, and uh, prosperity, or uh, if, not, if not financial prosperity, a, a wellness. And not just a subjective wellness, but an actual wellness where people can look on to, to you uh, and say that, that, life, that life is blessed of God. That's what the word uh, asher in the Hebrew means in, in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. All right. Asher. It means it's, it's, it's a quality of life that other people look on and see. There's so much goodness there that, that life is to be emulated, that life is to be delighted in, that life is good. So generally, long life and prosperity. The commandment is repeated in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4, in the section regarding family order. And uh, there it says, uh, not that your life might be lived uh, long in the land which the Lord your God gives you, uh, but the blessing is still there that uh, you may live long. And uh, so the, the form of the blessing, uh, the application, you might say, of the blessing, is somewhat different than the Jew living in Palestine. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, God has that, that, that blessing for those who would keep it. My condition here, because we know not everybody lives long, we know the very, very good people, uh, John uh, Murray Machane, died as a young man. Uh, I don't know what he would have amounted to as a pastor theologian if he'd lived to be 40, but he never did live 40 to be 40. Well, did he break the fifth commandment? I, no, uh, I scarcely think so. The condition is if it serves your sanctification in this life, God only knows what that means. Uh, he knows not only your future, but all potential futures. And he knows his plans for you that are for good. If he sees that you would be far better off in heaven, he brings you home. If, if by your death you are a greater witness to the world than you are as alive, and he can make that witness more effective as, as a dead man than as a live man. Look what he did with Samson. He was more useful, blind in, uh, in the house of the Philistines, bringing down their temple than he was ever. He killed more on that day than ever he did. Of course, he killed himself. But that was in the spirit. This is a very unusual thing. Condition, if it will serve your sanctification, he will give you that blessing. If it serves God's glory. Because all these things are for the glorious end that God has purported. The opposite, of course, of this blessing is threatened in the commandment. And we see this in the case law, especially in Deuteronomy and later in, in Exodus. Uh, for the uh, opponents and those who would break the rebellious sons, what do we see? Frequently, short life, frequently, frustration in a sense of restlessness, a sense of 
uh, no fruition. Everything I touch, it's like me in the kitchen with my garlic press. You give me a garlic press, it'll be a few months. I'll break it. You know, it's horrible. I'm a disaster with garlic presses. Everything's frustrated. Short life, not blessing. The word they use, I think, is curse to all who disobey. In fact, uh, it's one of those commandments that brings with it capital punishment. This son of mine is a drunkard and lazy and worthless. Well, the law says take him out. I take him out. That's how serious this, uh, this commandment is. Short life and frustration to all of us obey. And remember, my friends, the teaching from James, uh, James chapter 2, verse 10, you break one commandment, you break them all. And uh, this one uh, carries r- various repercussions. So what we need to know is the wisdom here. That the Ten Commandments are not only just something to, to scare us into behaving. They are a guide to life. Uh, there's every advantage in this life and the next in obeying God because it pleases Him. And, and as God's friend, you can no, do no better. You can, you can do, do no better than to walk closely and uh, walk humbly and do mercy and walk with your God. There is great advantage in keeping all of God's commandments, and this is an enticement and an uh, inducement to, for you to do it. And this, of course, is promise in the Bible, and every promise, whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, is realized in Christ. It's a yes and always. It's not a God is not going to deliberate saying yes, yes, but he, he does later, no, no. So Paul is trying to convince the Corinthians, I'm, I'm not double-tongued. I'm not. When I say something, this is what I mean. God is the same way. All of his promises are yes in Christ. Uh, meaning that this commandment is given under a commandment of grace. And I keep pushing this. I want to never to forget the fact that the Ten Commandments were delivered on the context of a covenant of grace. God is graciously speaking to those people. Even in a fiery tempest, even in a flaming mountain and earthquakes, he will still meet with his elders halfway up the mountain and speak charitably with Moses uh, and uh, have a peace peace meal there with with the elders of Israel. He is their sheep in the wilderness. He's caring for them. He is their shade in the right hand. The sun will not smite them by day in the wilderness. The moon will not smite them by night. He's defending them against famine, against thirst. He's defending them against natural enemies, the Amalekites, the Moabites. And so this is a covenant of grace for all of his people, not a covenant of works. So don't ever receive these commandments as something and say, if I fail this, I'm doomed. Now that was Adam who was given that one commandment, broke it. You're not under a covenant of works if you're converted. Now, if you're not a Christian, you are still under a covenant of works. Every breach of every commandment uh, is another hell for you, as it were. Uh, You're just piling up, stockpiling sins, and unless you find remission, uh, then you will pay that debt. Each debt is of infinite worth, uh, an infinite debt of of, uh, wrath to your soul for disfiguring, uh, dismembering, twisting, and uh, marring the image of God in you. An infinite 
deeply valuable soul. So, what to do? Fret? No. Try harder? No. Quit works. Uh, cease striving. Know that, he, that God alone is God, and He gives you salvation free. Unless you come to Him as a child and receive His kingdom as a, as a babe, you will not see the kingdom. Unless you receive it freely, as from a father, and thankfully, as, 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 as of a son. If you do not honor him as a father, you certainly don't know this commandment at all. Because father, God is the father and the archetype of all fathers. If you don't relate to God, you don't relate to any father at all. So come to him by faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this uh, promise of grace in this commandment, it, it comes with the promise of grace in every commandment. And with the, the promise of every grace and every help. And so, my friends, as we walk in the Spirit, uh, you can be sure if we walk in the light, as God is in the light, if we're walking in the Spirit, uh, we will not transgress the law. It's whenever our flesh surmounts and uh, it gains a prominence and uh, leads us, deceives us, and gives birth to sin, that's, that's when we get into trouble. Let me then uh, bring this to a, a close. All men are duty-bound to honor their equals. And by doing so, they please God and receive blessings. Just remember, be aware that sinful flesh, and we all have sinful flesh, there's something in us that hates equals to, uh, to outshine us. We're going to say, well, I wonder. Well, you know, his mother gave him a, a, a great endowment, and that's why he lives in such a nice house. He hasn't really earned that. He doesn't deserve it. A million, a million things that we say to ourselves we wouldn't want to express them because we come across as mean-spirited, but, you know, we don't have to express them. If we think them, they're still sin. Those are our thoughts. Be careful. Uh, check this t uh, tendency, this, this impulse to destroy, this impulse to, to cast down. Uh, it's, it's satanic. It's demonic. Practice celebrating each other's successes. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And you can, you can weep with your peers. You can weep with those who weep. You should be able to uh, and take, uh, take on their shoes. Try walking a mile in their shoes. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do all in the presence of God. Do all for the glory of God. Do everything. Whether you eat, drink, or whatsoever, you do it for the glory of God, knowing that you are always in God's presence, that God is always with you. And he's pleased when you uh, do obey him in these commandments. Uh, to do so, we have the gospel promise. By believing in the Lord Jesus, not only are we remit remitted sins, but we, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling. And he will quicken us. He will cause us to walk in the law of, of, of God. He will remove the stony heart and give us a fleshly heart and will, in every way, make our path smooth. Now, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we might once again renew our walk with God. Walk in the light, as he is in the light. Between the walking in the light and the confessing our sins, we have the full expression of the Christian life.
Just make sure you understand the commandments so that you don't bounce off the rails. And you're on your way home. Christ is your shepherd. He will lead you to Zion. Just stay humble, love mercy, do justice, walk humbly with your God. Therein is the will of God in Christ concerning you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the way of life. We thank you that Jesus is the way. We thank you that he won the way and that by believing in him and resting in him that we are already safe and saved. We have you as a father, not as a judge who will ultimately slay us for our sins. We thank you that you are most just, just to speak against sin, but also most merciful to forgive our sin. We pray that we might rejoice in this and that we might obey you out of a sense of gratitude, not to earn salvation, not even to keep salvation, uh, but Lord, uh, to delight you who are most worthy of all our affection, our love and obedience. And you have said, if we, we loved you, we'll keep your commandments. So help us to do so. Help us to love you. And by all means, bless your people. Grant us long life and prosperity. Whatever